Well, praise the Lord. God has been with us. He has carried us, and, and God will continue to carry us. We're coming to a very important time on our calendar wherein we are going to be remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do know that we are at a time now that we call Lent, and we remember the, the, it takes about 40 days, this period, where we, we, we remember a number of things as Christian people. One of them, which is an important one, we remember the things that Jesus said to his disciples before he parted, before he was crucified. Some of the things that Jesus said were extraordinary, very phenomenal. And this morning, we're going to talk about one of those. Jesus came to minister on the earth to give his life as a ransom for many. And the main reason he did so is because of the value of our soul. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the value of your soul. I want to read Mark chapter 8, verse 36. And I'm reading from the King James Version, and I'm going to read other translations as well. It reads as follows. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The NIV reads, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange of his soul? Earlier in this chapter, Jesus had actually predicted his death. He was giving an indication to his disciples that he's going to die. And you do know that one of the disciples, Peter, actually rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ to say, how can you say that? And Jesus, in return, rebuked Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You all know the story. Later on, Jesus went to that famous mountain of transfiguration and took with him Peter, James, and John. And in this text that we have read, Jesus is literally outlining to the disciples the value of their soul. He had just been challenging them to follow him, to come after him. He was actually saying, if you would come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So he challenges them. In your following me, you need to lose your life. He said, if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you lose your life for my sake, if you lay it down, you will find it. If you lay your life down in pursuit of me, you will find it. And then he goes into that comparison where he actually talks about the soul of a person. And he says, the soul of a person is of so much worth that it cannot even be compared with gaining the whole world. What Jesus is not saying in this verse He's not saying that human achievement is not important. You know, many of us, we work, we try our best to express ourselves, to use our gifts, use our talent to achieve. Jesus is not in any way looking down upon achievement. He's not in any way promoting the fact that we shouldn't achieve. Also, this verse, 
is not necessarily promoting that we should live an under-challenged life, a mediocre or a purposeless life. God doesn't want us to live under-challenged life. God wants us to live life to its fullness. Instead, what this scripture is telling us is to look at life from God's perspective. We've got to look at our lives and put it in the right place where God puts it. It's important. He's saying that our souls are valuable. Our soul can never be equated to anything of value on the earth. Even all of the world's goods, all of the wealth of the world, all of the achievement of man can never be compared to the value of your soul. See, you need to know that your soul is valuable. Your soul has a tag on it. You know, money cannot buy the worth of your soul. Status cannot buy the worth of your soul. Fame, achievement, your soul by far exceeds the highest material value. Why? Because your soul is valued in God's currency. You see, when we look at God and when we look at ourselves as human beings, God places priority on things that we don't seem to place priority on. You know, our world puts currency and value on certain things that in God's way of doing things, God doesn't in any way put value on them. God puts value on your soul. Now, if God puts value on your soul, on my soul, I want you to understand, what is a soul? I mean, when we talk about a soul, what do we mean? For the purposes of our lesson, please allow me not to go into the technicalities of the difference between the soul and the spirit, you know, things that we as theologians talk about and sometimes argue about. For the purposes of our lesson, allow me to use the word soul and spirit interchangeably. And I want to define it as follows. The soul of man has many meanings. When you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the New Testament, it has many meanings. It can mean the following. It can refer to the mind of a person, right? Our thinking capabilities. We, we are people who think. Also, the soul can speak of the emotions of a person, all right? We all have emotions. We read in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. This is how it reads when it talks about Paul. It says, he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, the soul is your mind, it is your emotions. But also the word soul in the Bible is used to refer to our attitude, either our attitude towards people, our attitude towards God. In Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul is exhorting us to serve God, he says, when we serve God, we mustn't do it with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from our hearts. So in other words, we can do God's will from our soul, from our hearts. So Jesus is asking that question. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? In this context, where Jesus is using the word soul, he's using the word soul there to refer to human life. In other words, to refer to the totality of your life. The word soul, when you read it in the Bible, it is that part of you that when it leaves the body, you cease to live. 
when it leaves the body, the body cannot be sustained. So the soul, therefore, is the seat of your inner life. It's that part of you that makes you to be you. Interesting. When you read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So if you think about it, this formless body of a human being made out of dust, these bodies of ours, when we pass on, we are put into a coffin, lowered into the grave, we decompose, we turn into dust, because this is what this body came from. So after God had made this form of the body out of the dust of the ground, he breathed into this formless shape, what the Bible calls the breath of life, and it says, so man became a living soul. See, so in other words, man draws his life, really, from the soul. It is the soul that makes us to be alive. And this is where the difference is, in the way God created. When it comes to the creation of human beings, it is the human soul that distinguishes us from other creatures. It is the human soul that makes us to be fully alive, makes us to be full living beings. Therefore, the soul, according to our text, it is that non-material part of you. It is that non-physical aspect of you. It is your soul that makes you to be you, if you understand what I mean. It is the soul, when we read the Bible, that makes you and me to be eternal beings. It is the soul that makes you and me to long after God and hunger after God and thirst after God. It is the soul that even when we have everything that our world can give us, all the goods of the world, if the soul is not catered for, we will always feel like there's something that is not there in our lives. Jesus says, what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So Jesus is saying, whatever we do, we must not lose our soul. What does he mean by that? Now, why is our soul of so much worth? Number one, our soul has worth, first of all, because it bears the image of God. See, you have been made in God's image. See, it doesn't matter what people say about you or how you look at yourself. Maybe you, you look at yourself, you feel like maybe you haven't done certain things. You may feel like you have no worth whatsoever. But according to God, you bear the image of God. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, this is how it reads. It says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, whom my soul, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice on the Gentiles. So your soul is important because you bear the image of God. In the book of Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. See, that part of us that looks like God, it's certainly not our, phys our physical being, it definitely is not the color of our skin, but it is that immaterial part of us, that part that cannot be touched, 
You cannot see it with the naked eye, and it's called the soul. Your soul bears the image of God. Number two, the second reason why the soul is so important is that all souls belong to God. See, you, you and I, we, even if we may, we may feel that we have all the strength and all the technology, all the knowledge, all the medical ability that we have, when God demands the soul back, there's nothing that can be done by human means to stop that soul from being taken by God. All souls belong to God. In Ezekiel 18 verse 4, it says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well of the soul of the Son is mine. And God says, the soul who sins shall die. Your soul is God's prized possession for himself. Your soul, therefore, is, is not what belongs to you. So you can't just do what you like with your soul. You can't just decide whatever you like with your soul. You're going to account for your soul before God because all souls belong to God. The third thing, the soul we read from the Bible is that eternal part of us as we have said. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says something that is very interesting. This is what he says. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, only God can destroy the soul. Nothing else can destroy the soul. Your soul is literally indestructible. Even if death was to come our way, even if you were to get some accident and fall down and die, your soul cannot be killed. Your soul cannot die. In other words, there's no power no circumstance that has power of your soul. People can kill your physical body, but it is only God who can condemn the soul. That is why it's so important for us, therefore, to learn to bring our soul before God and to do with our soul what God tells us to do. Your soul belong to God. But here's the interesting thing, number four. It is for that reason, therefore, that only you and me has control over our soul. In other words, it is for us to decide and to determine the destiny of our soul. See, that decision is made by you, is made by me. God gives us a chance to make that decision. Unfortunately, many people live their lives without thinking that there is a day that's coming when we will have to give an account for our soul. Remember, when we die, when we leave this earth, it is only this body that remains behind. But your soul and my soul lives on. Either lives on in the presence of God or lives on what the Bible calls utter destruction. Our soul lives on. And for that reason, it's important for you this morning to think seriously about your soul to think seriously about the decisions you have made concerning your soul. Can you truly say, can you really say, your soul has been fully submitted to God? Jesus tells us a story in Luke chapter 16, a very, very, very sad story. Many of us, we know it. 
the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It says in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, there was a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. But at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus whose body was covered with sores, who longed to eat of what fell from the rich man's table. In addition, the Bible says, the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22. Now the poor man died. Watch what it says. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. Then it says, the rich man also died and was buried. See, all of us, we die. Rich or poor, we die. Black or white, we die. Whether we are in overseas, Australia, America, in, in Africa, we die. Death is the common denominator of all of us. And by the way, when that time comes, nobody has control to control where your soul goes. Where your soul goes is only determined by the decisions that you made. Note what it says. It says about Lazarus, when he died, the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. We know that when somebody dies, their body remains behind. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says the angels carried him? We do know, of course, his body remained behind. So according to God, the him who was carried is the soul. So the soul or the spirit is the real you. The soul or the spirit is what lives on after we die. The soul or the spirit goes to a home. In this instance, the angels carried him. On the contrary, the rich man, something happened in verse 23. It says about the rich man, in hell, as he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham afar off with Lazarus at his right side. Think about this. So here's the rich man, he's in hell. And the Bible says in hell, he was in torment. So it means he could still feel, he could still sense something. And then he said, he looked up and he saw. So it means even when you are in this form and the body is away, you will still operate like you do right now. You'll see, you'll recognize people, you'll remember, you will feel. And it says this man in hell, he is in great torment. Note in verse 22. So in hell, he calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in anguish in this fire. What a sad thing for a man to find themselves in this condition. You see, because when he lived, he never took care of his soul. When he was alive, he never even realized he has a soul. You know, sometimes people think when they die, they will just sleep and that's the end of everything. You know, sometimes people say, look, I just want to take my life and I just want to end it all. And we say that compassionately. Sometimes people go through difficulties and they feel that maybe they should end their life. But the reality is this. When we die, we begin living. When we go out of this body, then life starts. And here is the rich man. He is asking Abraham. He's making a request to Abraham. He can recognize Abraham. He can recognize Lazarus. He's asking that, please, can you do this for me? 
But Abraham says to him, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Verse 26, beside this, there's a great chasm that has been fixed between us so that those who want to cross over from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from here to us. In other words, once we reach that side of eternity, there is no going back. There is no way we can bring somebody out. We cannot pray them out. We cannot help them out. Whatever decision they have made is the decision that decides what happens in their life. But then the rich man realizes, I lived my life, never thought about my soul, never took care of my soul. And the Bible says the rich man then starts praying. He says, I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my house, for I have five brothers to warn them so that they don't come into this place of torment. He realizes, I'm in this place because of the way I lived. I'm in this place because I never took care of my soul. I'm in this place because I didn't realize what does it help? What does a man gain? What does it profit any man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? This man realizes, I lived a life. See, he wasn't in this place because he was a rich man. We need to dispel that myth. It's not because he was rich. It had nothing to do with his riches. His big problem was, whilst he was rich, he never took care of his soul. That means even when we are poor and we don't take care of our souls, it's still the same challenge. This man lived a life where he forgot that there's an eternity. How many people forget about eternity? How many of the people watching this morning don't ever think about their life after death? I know we don't want to talk about death. I know we don't want to talk about it. But the reality is this. Whether we talk about it or we don't talk about it, there comes a day, my dear friend, when we will have to answer that question. And what a great opportunity for you this morning to be able to settle this question once and for all. Make sure that you don't lose your soul like this rich man. So he's asking, he says, send Lazarus. I've got brothers there. The way they live, I can see this is where they are going to end up. But Abraham gives a very insightful answer. He says to him, they have Moses and the prophets. They must respond to them. In other words, they've got people on earth who are preaching, telling them God's word. They need to respond. I wonder what this rich man is saying right now. I wonder if he's not making that request on your behalf to say, yes, so and so. They're listening to the gospel. Oh God, will you help them? to listen to the gospel and do something about their life. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But Abraham said, if they don't respond to Moses and the prophet, they also will come to this same place. Now, it's a sad thing to know that our soul can go into utter destruction. You know, we would be despondent if God didn't give us a way out. See, the good news is that because God knows that our soul is of great value, God has made a way for us. Because God knows about the value of your soul and the value of 
my soul, God has provided a way for us. And this morning, you can learn what the word says. You can receive what God's word says. And your soul can be saved as well. And your soul can be changed as well. Let me read to you what the Bible says. Number one, God has provided a way back for lost souls. You know, it doesn't matter what the things that we have done, how far away from God we are. You know, it could be during this lockdown period, as we have been sitting down in our homes, we've been thinking about our lives. Maybe you've come face to face with the things that have happened in your life, looking at your own spiritual poverty, the fact that you're not connected to God. It could be that you may be a very, very good moral person, but there is an emptiness in your life. You've come face to face with that emptiness where you realize my life is not pleasing to God. Well, the good news this morning is this. God has made a way for the lost soul. You know, I was fortunate enough to be raised in a good home, and I'm, I'll always be thankful to God for my late parents. They were good parents. We were raised well as children. And I went to church since I was six years old, and you know, it was a good thing I went to church that preached the gospel, preached God's word. But you know, even if I went to church and I listened to God's word, I never put that word into practice in my life. Though I knew the scriptures, and I conformed and complied to everything that the church was saying I must do, I just never had that personal encounter with God. I remember when I became a teenager, I started having a sense of being lost, a, a feeling of helplessness. I remember some days I would just wake up with so much despondency, feeling like life is not worth anything. You know, in spite of the fact that, you know, we were in a good home, we were not a rich family, but I also can't say we were a poor family. We were okay, you know, and re being raised in a family that any child would long for. Good parents, good father, good mom, wonderful family. But in spite of all of that, there was a sense in my life that something is missing. And I remember as I got to be about 15 years old and 16 years old, I would become so despondent. I would sit outside on the stoop outside at home and, 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 and just stare into space. And, and I would try and listen to music to kind of, you know, ease the pain or lull the feeling. But my goodness, I felt so lost. I remember it came to a point where I just felt like life is not worth living. And, and I, I wanted to take my life. I just never had the courage to do so. My soul was lost. When the soul is lost, there's a sense of, 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 of worthlessness. There's a sense of emptiness. Nothing can fill that soul. But God has provided a way. In Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is why at this time, we want to remember the son of God who died for us on the cross. Jesus who died on the cross for you, for your soul to be saved. The New Living Translation says, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt, up, adopt us as his very own children. See, Jesus brings freedom of soul. There's all kinds of freedom. There's political freedom, 
We can be free in many other ways, but there's the freedom of the soul. Our soul is in chains when we don't know Christ. Our soul is languishing in jail when we don't know Christ. But Jesus came to free your soul, to free my soul, and to make us to be God's children. Secondly, God gave heaven's best for your soul. God gave heaven's fairest jewel to rescue you, to rescue me. The famous verse that we quote at this time of the year. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have everlasting life. God gave his son for you. Think about that. God gave his only son to die on the cross for you. His only begotten son to die a cruel death on the cross. If you could ask of the value of your soul, my goodness, your soul, my soul, is of such high value that God sacrificed his son. God sent his son to die on the cross for you. He died a cruel death because your soul is of so much great value that it took the life of the Son of God to die on the cross for you. It says in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God wants you to be saved. God doesn't want you to live in guilt, in condemnation, feeling like God doesn't love you, feeling like you are far from God. This is not a time for you to run away from God. This is a time for you to run to God. This is not a time for you to look at yourself and feel like what you've done is not worth changing or God cannot save someone like you. God's hand is not too short to reach out to you. His grace is sufficient. He gave his son because God looks at your soul and God says your soul is worth the death of his son. Your soul is worth his son dying on the cross for you. And God gave his son. The third thing, Jesus himself, as the son of God, knew the price that he was going to pay. Jesus went to the cross fully knowing the price that he was going to pay. He laid down his life for your soul and for my soul. In Matthew 26, we read the following words. Jesus took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And the Bible says, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. This is when Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of pain, the garden of anguish and sorrow, the garden where the war for the soul of humanity was made, where the destiny, the eternal destiny of you and I our eternal destiny of hum as human beings lay in the balance. And Jesus goes to that garden. In verse 38, as he went there, he says to these disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. He says, stay here and watch with me. And the Bible says, he went a little further. He fell on his face. He prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was looking at that cup, the cup of our sin, 
the cup of our rebellion, the cup of our wrong. And Jesus was going to partake of that cup. He was going to drink of that cup, figuratively speaking. Jesus was going to be infected by our sin. His whole spirit, his whole blameless spirit, his own soul that was holy, blameless before God, was going to inherit and take on all our sin, all our wrong. The book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians tells us, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane faced the fact that he's going to come in as your substitute and my substitute. Take all our sins. Take and receive all the sins of mankind from as far back as the sin of Adam in the garden of Eden. And that sin would come into his spirit, come into his soul, poison it, defile it fully to a point that he would be so defiled that his sin would cause God to turn his face away from him. You remember when Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? God couldn't bear, dare to look at his son who was full of sin. For the first time in the history of the universe, something happened that had never happened before. For a while, because of your sin and my sin, the relationship between Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God, the Heavenly Father, was broken. For a while, God turned his back on his Son, forsook him. Jesus cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why was he forsaken? He was forsaken because he took your sin and he took my sin. He was forsaken because as a substitute, he came into our place. He suffered all that to pay a heavy price for your soul and my soul. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And Jesus on that cross took upon himself that sin upon himself. And we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. He says to the disciples, stay here with me, please. Pray with me. He says the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We read three times Jesus did that. And on the third time, he told the disciples, the hour is now come. Let's come out of this place. Jesus paid the price. Fourthly, when Jesus suffered, his suffering and everything that he went through was not worthless. In Matthew 27, we read these words. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. Then the Bible says they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, put reeds on his head. And then they bowed their knees before him. They mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They took a reed and struck him on the head. They mocked him, put a robe, took off his clothes, and they led him to be crucified. Jesus suffered cruelly because of you, because of me. And so today, you can give of your life to God. Right now, you can say to God, God, here is my life. Here is my soul. I want to give my soul to you. If you've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ, 
You don't ever remember praying a prayer of receiving Christ. I'm going to ask you right where you are just to take a moment to receive Christ. You don't have to necessarily do anything that's spectacular. All you need to do is to accept what Jesus did on the cross. Receive it as your own gift. Ask him to come into your heart and your soul will be saved because your soul is worth everything today. I'm going to ask you to join me right where you are just for a moment of prayer. Okay, would you just bow your head, please? Just close your eyes right where you are. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm asking you, as you pray this prayer, put every ounce of meaning in it. Please follow me in this prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Make me a child of God. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were raised from the dead. And today, I receive you as the Savior and the Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.